You're tuned in to Strange Broadcast. Warning, this episode contains violence and sexually explicit content. On March 6, 2001, Armin Mivis would receive the message he had been hoping for. The chat log presented to the court reads, Cater 99. Hello? Antrophagus. Hi, Cater. What do you do professionally that you are up so late at night? Cater. I can't sleep well anymore because of our meeting. Antrophagus. That's a sensible reason. Yesterday, I was incredibly tired. It was a stressful day. Cater. I'm in telecommunications. Antrophagus. Oh, that sounds interesting. Cater. I believe you. Antrophagus. I'm looking forward to our meeting. It will definitely be really cool. Cater. I want it to be. I hope that it's really cool. Are you setting an alarm clock? Antrophagus. It's only a few days until March 9th. Cater. Still, I would have rather met you yesterday and felt your teeth. Antrophagus. One can't have everything. There's still some time before you really feel my teeth. Cater. I hardly know what to expect. Have you slaughtered a man before? Antrophagus. Unfortunately, only in my dreams, but in my thoughts, I do it every night. Cater. So I'm the first? You have eaten human flesh before, or you haven't? Antrophagus. No, you don't exactly find it in the supermarket, unfortunately. Cater. How do you know if it will taste good to you, or that the blood won't make you sick? Antrophagus. I'm reading myself with my dreams. Once I was so excited, I grabbed a needle and drew my own blood so I could drink it. Cater. And your blood, it tasted good to you? Antrophagus. It was quite tasty. Once I was drilling some holes and the drill slipped right into my hand. It was a real treat. Blood is just the juice of life. It contains everything a person needs for nutrition. Cater. Then I hope you won't wilt that you can really see it through without a problem. Antrophagus. To bite into your penis will certainly not be easy. Living flesh is somewhat more resistant than fried, but one thing is certain, our dreams will be fulfilled. Cater. But there's not so much in it as there is in muscle. Antrophagus. Yeah, but the penis is particularly a spongy material filled with blood. Cater. For both our sakes, I hope that's true. I hope you have also already thought about what's to be done with the rest. Fulfilling the dream shouldn't become a nightmare for you. No one will know where I've disappeared to. Antrophagus. After you're dead, I'll take you out and expertly carve you up, except for a pair of knees and some fleshy trash. Skin, cartilage, tendons. There won't be much of you left. Cater. There will be a good bit, like the knees, I hope you have a good holding place for them. Antrophagus. I'll dry out the knees and grind them up soon after. Cater. Okay, they're good as fertilizer. I heard that once. I see you've thought about it. Good. Sounds like I'm the first. Antrophagus. And you won't be the last, hopefully. I've already considered catching a young person from the street, but I would rather kill only those who want to be killed. Cater. That also doesn't sound bad, but yeah, 
Seeing as it's not so totally legal, this is in my eyes better than you yanking somebody directly off the street. Antrophagus. Exactly. I'd do it if it were legal. Cater 99, in real life, was a man named Bernd Jargon Brandis, a 43-year-old from Berlin, Germany, a seemingly plain computer engineer by day and described by some as a homebody. Brandis's fate would come to a surprise to many. Just like Armin Mivis, Brandis also had an unpleasant childhood. At the age of five, his mother would take her own life, the relationship with his father was strained and would come to an end when Brandis told him he was interested in men. As an adult to the outside world, Burned Brandis was a seemingly ordinary guy. In the years leading up to his death, however, Brandis would make some large life changes. His relationship with his long-term girlfriend, Benita, had ended after she discovered Brandis was bisexual. Brandis would later move into a pleasant flat in Berlin with his boyfriend, Rene Jancic. The couple would have a seemingly healthy relationship. Nina Herman, a journalist in Berlin who interviewed Rene Jancic in the early 2000s, had this to say. In the eyes of his boyfriend, Brandis was conservative, steady and conservative. He quite liked that. René was younger, at least 10 years younger, and I got the impression that Brandis gave him a kind of stability because he was absolutely reliable. Despite having a live-in boyfriend, co-workers of Brandis would hardly know. Stefan Palmerenning, a co-worker of Brandis's, recalls him frequently talking about the women he had spent time with. The whole time I knew Mr. Brandes, it was never apparent that he had any homosexual leanings or that he acted them out. I always thought Mr. Brandes was heterosexual. He'd brag about his experiences and most to the boys about his relationships. Brandis was living a double life, and not just from his co-workers. In the years leading up to March 2001, Brandis would begin seeing male prostitutes more frequently. He would pick them up outside Berlin's main rail station and then proposition them, not just for sex, but to mutilate his body. He would ask to be whipped and bitten but he would not be satisfied till he felt his ultimate pleasure, to have his penis bitten off. Brandis would offer tens of thousands of dollars for the service, but no one was willing to carry out his desire. Mark Benecki, a forensic biologist, and Rudolf Egg, a criminal psychologist, will help explain the psychology of someone with these fantasies. I don't think that anybody understands why you really wa wanted to do that. One reason is, for example, obviously you don't want to exist and you want to completely disappear, but at the same time you get power. It's a kind of a domination from the bottom. Like, I'm very weak, but somebody eats me and I know that as long as I live, he really likes me for getting eaten because obviously I have some type of energy that is valuable for him. So I'm weak, but out of my weakness comes power because the other person wants me. 
uh, Rondas did not only fantasize, he really wanted to be killed. It is my right to suicide myself, and I want to do it that way. At the trial of Armin Mibus, Victor Sereno, an acquaintance of Brandis, told the court, he wanted me to bite him everywhere, on his nipples, his shoulders. He was particularly excited when I bit his penis. Unable to find someone in the Berlin community willing to mutilate him, Bert Brandis would do what everyone does nowadays. He would turn to the internet. It's there that Brandis would find what he had been looking for. From prison, Armin Mibus recalls the classified Bert Brandis had posted. I replied to an ad he put on the internet. The headline was dinner, or your dinner. And the text was, I'm offering you the chance to eat me alive. Who really wants it needs a genuine victim. The two men would quickly decide to meet. In preparation, Brandis would wipe his computer history and cover his tracks online. He also fasted days beforehand. In cannibal forums, Brandis would find instructions detailing the preparation of human meat for consumption. Rene Jancic, Brandis's boyfriend, told reporters that days before he disappeared, Brandis had purchased new kitchen equipment for their flat. He would later find a will that had been updated around the same time. On the 9th of March, 2001, Brandis would leave his flat in the morning like any other Friday. He would head to Berlin's Central Station. At 8.44, Brandis's train would leave the station. Around the same time, in Worcesterfield, Armin Mibus pulled out of his driveway. Both men headed to the train station in Kessel. Mibus recalls their meeting. We had exchanged pictures with each other beforehand so we could recognize each other. We also agreed on the internet where we would meet at the station. The train arrived at 10.14, I think. I was already standing on the platform and he got out of the door. He had a baseball cap on, a dark jacket, and blue jeans, and a plastic bag in his hand. There were a lot of people at the station, so we didn't talk much. We went outside to the car. As we drove out of town, he immediately began to fiddle around with me. And of course, I stopped that at first. I wanted to concentrate more on driving the car. About three hours later, the couple would reach Mibus's dark manor. 
When we arrived at my house, he went straight into the living room and undressed, stark naked, so that I could admire dinner, or my dinner, as he said. This made me relatively uncomfortable, because it was still spring, and the trees were not full of leaves, and you could look into the house from the street. Although Mivis was satisfied, all was not as it seemed. Mivis had been specifically looking for a younger, thinner man. Brandis had said he was only 36 years old, and that he had weighed less. I guess even cannibals can get catfished. I had thought he was older than 36, and he was actually 43. At that age, it's not that easy to tell. He had an athletic figure, so it was just how I imagined. The two spent some time in the living room before heading upstairs to the slaughter room. There, the two men would have sex, Mivis explains. Yes, we had sex because he wanted to. But he didn't enjoy the sex. He said, you can't do it. You're too feeble. You can't inflict the type of pain on me that I want. He wanted to experience the ultimate high. He wanted to be eaten alive. That for him would be the ultimate bliss. Because Mivis was unable to rip the flesh from his body, Brandis would ask to return to the railroad station. At the station, Brandis would change his mind and the two would head back to Worcesterfield. Along the way, they stopped and got some alcohol and cough syrup for anesthesia. Driving back to the manor, the two men would wait for Brandis to become tired after taking the cough syrup. A little bit after 6 p.m., Brandis would say he was ready. Around 6 or 6.30, he said, I can't stand it anymore. Cut it off. We had the camera set up from before already. I switched it on because he wanted to see for himself how the separation works. In the middle of the room, Armin had placed a table. Brandis stood at the table with his penis laying on it. It was there that Mivis would make his first attempt to remove the penis. He cut into it, but found that the knife was too dull. Mivis ran to the kitchen to get a sharper knife. The second time it happened relatively quickly. It only took a couple of slices to cut it off. Then he gave out the most awful yell. 
Only about 20 or 30 seconds. Then he said, all I see is blackness. I need to sit down. A few seconds later, he said it didn't hurt anymore. He was astonished because it didn't hurt anymore. With the penis severed, Mivis proceeded to cut it in half so that the two men could have a bite. The two men discovered that it wasn't edible raw, so Mivis went back to the kitchen to cook it up. He would boil it in water before frying it in a pan. In his haste, Mivis would burn the meat. In the cooking process, the penis had become tough, shriveled, and burnt. They wouldn't finish it all. With his penis severed and bleeding profusely, Brandis would begin to feel cold and ask to be put in a warm bath. The two men made their way downstairs to the bathroom. Mivis filled the tub up and helped Brandis in. He then pulled off the bandage he had on it. In the water, he was happy about how the blood was flowing out of the wound, similar to a fountain. After two, two and a half hours, I heard a call for me. As difficult as it is to believe, as before, he was happy there in his own blood. Every now and then, he would pour more water into the bath. Then he called for me again. He decided to get out of the tub himself and then collapsed, unconscious on the floor. Mivis would drag the body back to the kill room. There, lying on a small bed in the corner of the room, Brandis would go in and out of consciousness for several more hours. Around 2 a.m., Brandis would stand up and collapse next to the bed. This would be the last time Brandis regained consciousness. I hesitated for a long time. I prayed and even kissed him on the mouth. Then I picked up the knife. You can see it on the video. I picked up the knife and I put it down again. And then I kissed him again, picked up the knife and set it aside. Then I prayed. At that moment, I didn't know what to do. I asked myself whether I should pray to devil or the god. I asked God for forgiveness. Then I took the knife, grasped it in my hand. After hesitating several more times, I found it very difficult killing this man I had found. I stabbed him in the neck so that the tip of the knife came out the other side. With Brandis dead, Mivis proceeded to butcher the body. Then, in the slaughter room, after he was dead, I separated his head from his body. I hung him from the ceiling. 
dann entsprechend wieder aufgehangen. Und I removed his organs. Auch nervlich dann in dem Moment einfach fix und fertig war. Wir hatten vorher schon zwei Tage and then cut him in half. Gechattet und gemeldet. I poured hot water over the two halves and washed the body. Keeping the parts of Brondus in a large freezer, over the next 10 months, Armin Mivis would consume 44 pounds of Bert Brondus. Within days of Brondus's death, his friends and family would report him missing. With little evidence to go on, the police in Berlin would close the case. Despite having a freezer full of Brandis, Mivis would begin to look for another meal. He would take to the internet once again, this time posting with the name Frankie, a callback to his childhood imaginary brother. Armin was unable to control his desire, explains Mark Bernacki. The people suffering from paraphilia cannot control the urge. They cannot, they cannot even control thinking about it. I mean, they, they cannot just say, okay, I want to fall asleep, I don't want to think about it anymore. It doesn't work like that. To convince people he was serious, Mivis would begin sharing details of his slaughter. When an Austrian student asked Mivis how many people he had killed, Mivis replied he had experience and he wouldn't be the first. The student then alerted the authorities Five months later, on December 10th, 2002, seven police officers would arrive to search Mivis's house. Fortunately, they would find what they were looking for. In January 2004, Mivis was sentenced to eight years in prison for manslaughter, a verdict that would be appealed in May 2006. At the retrial, Armin Mivis was convicted of murder and sentenced to life in prison. Thank you for listening to Strange Broadcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe. Your support really helps. Till next time, keep on keeping on.